0: Welcome to the new podcast. What are we called again? Act for twenty. So we had begun recording uh, in Las Vegas. We recorded the this uprising like, set review. It was like two and a half hours long, and we had <laughs> to <laughs> we had to stop because we had to go play uprising.
1: And then we learned that there were some cards that we hadn't even covered. That we didn't even know existed. Yeah. We should actually introduce ourselves first, huh?
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm Yanji. Uh, second place at Calling Las Vegas.
1: <laughs> I'm Michael. Also second place at Calling Las Vegas um, yeah. on Prism. I'd like to point out that I have both won and lost in the finals with Prism. So I'm just like in between Tyler Horsepool and Fino Black.
0: Nice. <laughs> uh yeah and uh this is the first episode uh that we're gonna release publicly the that two and a half hour i think we're gonna redo later and i i guess like the podcast right now is focused on limited but maybe we'll cover the topics later on
1: yeah so today we're gonna be talking about uprising particularly steels. uh to prepare you guys for the 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 pre-releases this weekend we think that's the most relevant we will talk next week about draft um and just kind of limited for all the heroes but today we're mainly just talking about giving you guys kind of like a quick update or just kind of a quick overview on the sealed formats each hero and particularly we're gonna have a focus on fey
0: yeah uh the if you want to stop watching the video right now the takeaway is just play fey and, but hopefully we'll go over uh, a couple of reasons why. And then also, uh, if you don't want to play Faye, or if your pool maybe has just like a really good deck for another hero, like how you can identify that.
1: Yeah, so let's go ahead and get started uh, by introducing each of the heroes. I think let's start with Faye, since we do think that Faye is the best in Sealed. Yeah. So Faye is a Draconic Ninja hero. The young hero has 20 health. His ability has two parts, first part says you may start the game with a Phoenix Flame in your graveyard. And we'll talk about what that Phoenix Flame looks like right after this. The other ability is a once per turn instant. Three resources. Return a Phoenix Flame from your graveyard to your hand. This ability costs one resource less for each Draconic Chainlink you control. And um, a Phoenix Flame. So Phoenix Flame is relatively simple. It's a token, so you can actually put it in your deck. You don't have to draft these cards. And the card itself will say that you can put up to three of them into your deck. Um, And this applies for both limited and constructed. Now, Phoenix Flame costs zero resources. It does have go again, but as you can see, it's power in the bottom left is also zero. And that's pretty important. It doesn't attack for anything. However, it does have an ability, and that is if you control two more Draconic Chain Links, Phoenix Flame gets plus one power. And the attack itself is go again. And that's something that you'll see almost every attack that Fate plays has go again. Um, so yeah, that's Phoenix Flame. And Fate, of course, also has a common weapon. You're always going to be playing this weapon. There are no majestic, rare, or better weapons to play. And that's Searing Ember Blade with a once per turn action to resources attack. It has three power and it notably also has a very important line of text. If you control two or more Draconic chain links, Searing Ember Blade has go again. And simply put, it just means if you start with a Draconic attack that has go again, then you can attack with Searing Ember Blade right after that with go again. And that's gonna be a play pattern we see pretty often.
0: Yep. And uh, the second Draconic hero is Dromai Ash Artist, or Dromai as the young version. She has an ability whenever you pitch a red card, create an ash token. Uh, Ash is a material. Uh, All it says is if uh, ash is under uh, an ally, uh, or does it mention allies? Uh, The object has phantasm. And if you played a red card this turn, dragons you control have go again while attacking. So, Dromize, uh, her weapon, Storm of Sandakai, lets you attack with dragon allies for free um so her uh she's like based around creating these these dragons uh and then playing a red card and then attacking with them all hopefully
1: yep and then finally rounding out the roster there's icelander who of course was printed in everfest um but she makes her reappearance here in uprising icelander is an ice wizard the only ice hero, and the only wizard hero in this set. She has 18 health, unlimited, and she has also two abilities, the first of which is she may play um, cards from her arsenal that are blue at instant speed. Yes. And the second ability, sorry, if it's not your turn, the more important line is, if it's not your turn, you may play non-attack actions with blue color strips from her arsenal as though they were an instant. And her second line ability is whenever you play an ice card during an opponent's turn, create a frostbite under their control, and she does have essence of ice, of course so that she can play those ice cards. Yes, her weapon is called the waning moon, um actually a very very powerful weapon it's a uh, kind of a two part weapon uh but it costs two resources, and it says you may deal two damage to target he- two arcane damage to target hero. If it's not your turn, however, instead deal three damage to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a once per turn instant, costs two resources, and it has activate this ability only if you played a non-attack action card this turn. So there is a restriction; you can't just activate it without having done something else.
0: Right. On uh, her her play pattern mostly just revolves around uh, doing these like chip damages on your opponent's turn, uh, being able to get in. I think most notably is that it's. Pretty difficult to get Arcane Barrier in this format. Uh, yep. Most most heroes only have access to one Arcane Barrier. Dromai can get more Arcane Barrier with uh, her Aether Ashwing tokens, but those are uh, also kind of difficult to play against Icelander for a different reason.
1: Yeah, the maximum number of Arcane Barrier you can get from equipment only is one. All right, so that kind of rounds out the heroes and a little bit about what they do. Um, I think this next set We're just going to jump straight to Why we think Fi is the best in Sealed Mm -hmm. And we'll start with The main thing is consistency
0: Yeah, and so I think uh, If you look in the uh, In the set list I believe um, If you're at all familiar with Ninja uh, We're going to reference A lot of these attacks uh, Based off of the vanilla version That came out in Welcome to Wraith so a lot of these uh, card lines, uh, even though they have different text on them, the base attack, they're all the uh, variations on like these WTR attacks. We're going to call a head jab would be a zero cost, three damage go again in the red version. Leg taps are uh, one cost, four damage in the red version. And then uh, surging strikes are two cost, five damage go agains in the red version.
1: And when we say consistency, we just mean they have literally printed for each of these versions, basically three different cards that are all the same. So your pool will all, will just like usually have four to five cards of each of these that are just like the same card, but like slightly different and different names. So let's start with the head jab line. Mm-hmm. So there's Brand with Cinder Claw. Yep. There's Rising Resentment. Mm-hmm. And then there's Ronin Renegade. Yes. And... All three of these cards are what we call a head jab. They're all zero resource. They all attack for three in their red uh, pitch, and they're all Draconic Ninja, so they do add to your Draconic chain links. And I guess the only downside is they all block two. And they're all common. And they're all common. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, uh, the average pool, I just like based off the seal pools that I've seen, will have four to five of this type of effect in different colors at mm-hmm.
0: least. Yeah, definitely. And uh. So uh, one one thing that might be interesting to bring up is a head jab in uh, Welcome to Wraith was not that strong. So why is why are head jabs good in uprising? Um, well, are you asking me or are you want to answer? <laughs> uh, uh, I was, I was leading you in. Um, but basically, okay, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, basically, I think a lot of it has to do with um, making sure that your resource costs line up. So. Uh, if you look at Fy's, especially his weapon, so Fy is no, most notably the only uh, hero in Uprising that has a weapon that attacks for physical damage. Uh, you can always use the weapon every turn. There's no like restrictions on it, unlike um, Icelanders. And so a lot of the um, a lot of the power uh, in his kit, uh, and and based off and the consistency that you're talking about is because he can basically attack with his weapon every turn if you like set it up with like go attack. So part of the reason why head jabs are good is because they cost zero. So let's like pretend you have a blue card to pitch. Then if you play a zero cost go again attack, then you can attack for three. You can attack with the weapon for three, and then you can activate Fi's ability for one and attack again for one. So that's kind of like a baseline um, three for seven, and then you can add on more damage if you have another like 1 for 4, go again uh, at the back end. Then you don't have to pay 1 for the Phoenix Flame. Just get it for free. So there's like a lot of ways that you build up. But like, at baseline, you're always going to get like a, a 3 for 7, essentially, off of a 0 for 3, go again.
1: I'm glad you mentioned the 1 for 4. Let's actually look at the 1 for 4s. Same thing. There's a lot of consistency here. Yep. Um. So let's put on the screen. Dust Runner Outlaw is the 1 for 4 that has, like, I guess no other lines of text. Mm -hmm. Then there's another one for four. I'm loading it up. It's soaring strike, which is also common. And then the other one for four is actually a rare. Yep. Um mounting anger. Mm -hmm. So you'll have a slightly less amount of one for fours or leg taps. Uh, but still I expect like at least three or four in your pool. Mounting Anger, no, most notably, could potentially be a 1 for 5 if you do hit with it. These 1 for 4s help your deck kind of break some of the rules. Like, what that line that Yanji was talking about is very like nice, like, 2-card hand deal 7. The 1 for 4s allow you to have 3-card uh, hands that attack for, uh, was it 13? Or no, 12? 11.
0: Right? No, no, it's just 11. Yeah yeah, love, yeah
1: yeah no but that's still yeah it's still pretty good yeah um almost getting four points per per card is really good and of course they all rely on pitching a blue and attacking of reds Yeah, but still very very consistent and i just before we move too forward i uh, want to talk about the surging strike line uh surging strike you're going to have the least amount of and uh so at common there's rebellious rush which is just you know two resource five attack go again, mm-hmm. and then at rare, you have engulfing flame wave. Which, um, now this card actually can be pretty pretty nuts, mm-hmm. uh, because it, it could be a two resource, like potentially eight go again. Yeah. Uh, we value whenever you hit whenever you draw a card, we value that at the baseline of three, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the power of flesh and blood, is most cards should be affecting life total by three, some direction. Yep, the only problem with these. Two resource go against is they require you to either have a kind of an inefficient turn because you, if you play a rebellious rush or if you play an engulfing flame wave and you pitch a blue, you only have one floating and you can't attack with the weapon with that floating. Yes, so we often find that if you know you want to make these cards work, you either have to be inefficient or you need to have a common equipment we haven't talked about yet, but it is just super powerful, and that's the Sash of Sandikai.
0: Yes, you got an extra resource that pushes you into that four resource on a single turn uh threshold, which lets you kind of fit in one of these like two cost attacks uh into like your normal your normal sequence yep uh I wanted to mention also uh we didn't talk about this, but um there's also like cards uh for how you guys want to think about the cards. So if you look at a rare, like Rise from the Ashes, uh, even though this is not like an attack, um, it's essentially like another copy of Head Jab. Uh, It costs zero. It gives you next Draconic or Ninja attack plus three, and then you can get a Phoenix Flame back. And so even if you attack with a Phoenix Flame for no value, it's still like a zero for three go again. So that's kind of like how um, you guys should be thinking about uh, all the cards in Phi... Uh, whether or not it has a go again. If it has a go again, then it's a potential like um turn starter.
1: And that is the of course magical words that I was hoping for. So everything we've talked about so far have been go again attacks that block two. They have what we call innate go again, so there's no conditional conditionality on that go again. I think the other part of Fey and the the kind of the power cards, the, the cards that really help you push you over the top against a lot of opponents are what we're calling turn enders. Mm-hmm. So what we've talked about so far are the turn starters. They're your, what you want your first attack to be, your maybe your next attack, but we need some turn enders as well. Um, the good thing is almost, actually no, all the turn enders have go again, and they're all typically draconic, although a couple of them are majestics that are ninja attacks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We don't need to talk about them too much because most of the text lines up, but they also have rupture, so let's just look, for example, the one I want to look at is Red Hot. Okay. Rare, cost to resources, if the Dromite or FaZe specialization reads, Rupture, if Red Hot is played as Chainlink 4 or higher, it has, when you attack with this, reveal the top X cards of your deck, where X is the number of Draconic Chainlinks you control, deal damage equal to the number of red cards revealed this way to any target, then shuffle. So basically, cards that reward you for playing a bunch of Chainlinks, yeah. I think, are are just... These are the power cards. Most of your cards follow what we consider are the rules of flesh and blood, which is head jab, which is a, literally just a zero cost three, leg tap, which is a one cost four. But some of these cards break those rules. So this card, Red Hot, could potentially be a two resource seven, maybe even as high as a two-resource eight damage. Another card that stands out to me is Lava Burst, which is a common yep. cost zero, blocks three has rupture. And if it's played as chain link 4 or higher, it has plus 3 power, mm-hmm. and its base power is 2. So this is a 0 for 5. Like, th- like these two cards in particular just kind of tell you, hey, you want to play 3 chain links, and then as your 4th attack, play one of these and get rewarded.
0: So, like, what, what, does, what does an average, like, 4 look like?
1: Well, they all start with pitching a blue. And, well, not necessarily pitching a blue, but they all start with having a blue in your hand. And having either one of these uh, head jabs or leg taps. And the best part is, for five particularly, they don't have to be red. They could be blue. They could be yellow. As long as you have another blue in your hand, and you're starting with a go-again Draconic Ninja attack, Mm -hmm. Like everything starts opening up.
0: Yep. So then it's like one of those turn starters, your weapon, and then your Phoenix Flame. Yep. And that's three already. Yeah, and then you just play your fourth. Now that we've kind of gone over uh, all the cards for for Phi, so I guess like what makes Phi like more consistent than the other heroes?
1: I think it, like uh one of the things is that you're not as color dependent. Dromi's kit literally says you have to pitch a red in order to have ash, so yep. you, you just need like a critical mass of reds in your deck, or else your deck ca- can't really function. You don't have um ash but also her second line of text is really important too she says that you need to have played a red card this turn Mm -hmm. in order to to, for your dragon allies to have go again right and especially i feel like if the game goes a little bit long you're maybe entering second cycle and you haven't pitched that many reds or your reds don't have go again it's really hard to um get full value from your dragon allies Mm -hmm. yeah and
0: likewise (laughs) like for icelander you need like a lot of blues uh you need blue yeah. non attacks um that you can play on your opponent's turn to kind of unlock your waning moon. And then you also need blues to pay for everything, right? Yeah, yeah. Um uh,
1: it just yeah, it just feels like like the yellow pitch cards that dromai's no uh, that, that Fae plays are at like they're just not as bad as having to play yellows for Icelander and Dromai. But you're just gonna have yellows. Like it's sealed, you have no choice, these are the cards and you're just gonna have
0: to play with them. Yep. Yeah, if you, if you look at, like, um what each character loses, like, Dromai and Icelander for playing yellows both lose, like, the ability to actually, like, play through their normal turns, and then Phi just, like, loses one point of damage, basically.
1: Yeah. And also, in terms of consistency, like, Icelander, she has three common ice wizard attack actions that deal damage to any target. Mm-hmm. Of three different colors. Yep. Sorry, of three different uh, resource costs. There's uh, Aether Hail, which costs one resource, which is most likely the best because it synergizes the best with your weapon. Hmm. Um, Frosting, which costs zero resources, which can still synergize. Like there are ways to kind of make that card good. And then Ice Bolt, which kind of you gotta have to pitch two cards to really take full advantage of Ice Bolt. Yeah. Or have that's it. The,
0: Or have the chest piece.
1: Yes. The uh, the Arcane Barrier. Yes. But that's it. Like you're not gonna get like four or five. Of these frostings because there's like three different prints of it. There's just one. It's just frosting, it's yeah. just ice bolt, and it's just aether hail. And I think that's kind of interesting. Um, unfortunately, it does make it so it's less consistent. I think in draft, a lot of these things will even out, but in sealed, uh, it's just going to be harder to see that. I think the next thing I really want to talk about before we move on and talk to talk about the other heroes, if that's okay with you, Yanji, is just some recommendations we have for playing Fae. Yeah. This past weekend, uh, we got to play in the world premiere, so we did get to build some fay pools. Uh, and, and actually, these recommendations honestly apply to both draft and sealed. But yeah. I think the first thing I really want to talk about, and I would love to hear you guys' feedback if you guys played games and kind of think differently, but as a fay player, going against basically everybody, I want to go second. Like, if I win a dice roll, I just want to go second. And I think it's almost like... Like, this isn't like a, oh, like you get a slight advantage. I think you get a huge advantage.
0: Yeah, I second. think... One of our friends asked us about this at the event. Like, why is it that you want to go second? Um, in a lot of formats, uh, if you're, like, more familiar with playing, like, Blitz, uh, like, Constructed, or uh, even, I think, um, in Tales of Aria, like, if you're playing Briar, uh, you want to go first uh, a lot of times. So why is it that you want to go second?
1: I think it's there's, like, two parts to this. Um... For me, the first part that I think about is how bad can you get punished uh, on the first turn by your opponent? A.K.A. how poorly does your uh, average deck block and how much damage uh, can your opponent push through? Mm -hmm. Or how much damage can your opponent kind of push through that's like hard for you to interact with or hard for you to block?
0: Yeah. I
1: think uh, the average hand does not block that well. You should be having about three cards, like over two cards that block two yeah so your average hand blocks two plus two plus three plus three yeah about ten and i think it's not too hard for a fey to do more than ten physical on their first turn uh but a lot of those lines require them not having an arsenal yeah um and those lines are usually like at max like 13 i feel okay so
0: so you're taking like three damage let's say
1: yep yep and they don't get an arsenal if they do three damage and they get an arsenal then it's a little bit more even yeah but typically in my play patterns against phase, I've been taking about two to three, or sorry, about one to two damage. Yeah. I block out my entire hand, and I get to start at eighteen or seventeen. But my damage, like moving forward, actually eats their cards, eats their life. Yeah, and that's like super important. I know you want to talk about kind of the odd even number of turns as well, um, but before that, let's also talk about um, a card that I think
0: really makes going second a lot better, and that's Helios Meter. Oh, yeah. Helioid's Meter is a uh, token equipment, so this is something new. Basically, every, every deck concealed uh, in Sealed and draft can start with uh, this token equipment in play, uh, even if you didn't pick it. And Helioid's Meter has an ability, which is an instant, costs two resources, and it says prevent the next one damage that you would be dealt from a source of your choice. Uh, this card is actually kind of like a neat utility card, Most of the time, I find that I'm not saving it to prevent damage. Uh, If it does prevent damage, it's because it's on turn zero. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is quite a flexible card. You can activate it more than once. You can activate it even if your opponent is not threatening to do damage. You can always choose their weapon or their equipment or whatever. Um and it just kinda lets you um filter your hand if uh if they don't attack you, but if they do attack you also it just lets you like convert um maybe like cards that uh would not normally block, um, especially like against Icelander if they're trying to do arcane damage. Um it lets you convert uh into block that you would not normally have. And so like it take honestly takes off a lot of the I guess like the the disadvantages. That you normally would get from going second
1: yeah like i think this card is borderline nuts and insane and i wish this card was in tales of aria as well as a token um so like i was saying like the, the the two things that i think about when i choose to go second is how badly can you punish me on your first turn oh and how much does my hand block helio's meter makes it so that against icelander your hand can actually block like you often can use helio's meter like two times at least mm-hmm. and icender can only attack you one non attack action on their turn and then uh, yep, yep. it will follow up with the waning moon so assuming you have arcane barrier one it is actually very comfortable like it's it's very easy that it's the same scenario you only take maybe one two at max three points of damage uh Eye Center often will be able to arsenal a card though yep. which you know that's just how it goes I, I would still give up that like two or three points plus uh giving Eye Center a card in order to be able to go second uh-huh. I think that's still very reasonable, still very winnable. Your life totals have just evened out. And then I guess against Dromai, I think that's kind of where you can get what I would consider the most punished. And that is if they just play like any dragon, and then they're smart enough to, to not risk you having a 6-power attack to trigger Phantasm and just passing the turn and so then they get to start with an arsenal of card and potentially a dragon that if it has at least three health, it does basically mean that you have to commit some damage to it. Yep. But I think even then, still winnable. Um, I would still want to go second. Especially unlimited.
0: Yeah. Uh and then uh, you kinda of touched upon this a little bit earlier. So also like going first or going second, I think really has to do as well with like um how much damage uh a deck can output like what the ceiling is on the damage that a deck can output so usually i think in formats where decks can output a lot higher damage um you especially i i'm just reminded like in blitz constructed it's like possible to kill somebody in one turn with a five card like four cards plus an arsenal and so when you go first, uh you have the advantage there of uh if your opponent like your opponent basically is forced to block. Um because they can't they can't uh if they if they no block your, your five card hand, potentially they'll just die. Um whereas in this format I think the the average turn probably does a lot more damage than in other limited formats that we played, but it caps out um, around like, I don't know, like 13, 14.
1: Yeah. Like, it's hard to do more than 13 damage uh, on a turn. Like, I said, straight up, cannot do 13 damage. Mm And Dromai, if you have no board to start, it's like almost impossible as well. Yeah. Uh, It seems like Faye has the most kind of potential for damage, and it's still kind of like 11, 12, 13, maybe even just 10. Yeah. And so what I found, and I don't know if you had this similar experience, but I found that I often would go second. I would attack for 11, 12, yep. my opponent would commit two cards to blocking and mm-hmm. take about five to six damage yep. and then they would attack me and I would usually do the same thing and then it would be my turn and I would attack for five to six damage and it would just be my life. Total go to their life. Total go to like 14, mine oh. will go to 12, mm-hmm. then theirs would go to, I don't know, uh, eight, seven, and then mine would go to something like similar eight or seven. Yep. And then it would be my turn. We're both at seven, eight, six, seven, eight life. Yep. But now you can't just randomly just not like just block with two cards. The moment I get you to block with three cards on your turn. Yeah. If you're not at least playing Faye, then you are in deep, deep trouble because the other two heroes, it's really hard to have a turn with a a one card hand. In fact, I don't even know it's, you know, it's like almost impossible. Yeah. Um that's just how the play pattern worked for me at least it's kind of like a three turn four turn format three mm-hmm. turns of like blocking and attacking and then typically if you know if things are going right for you turn four is when your opponent's blocking with their third card
0: yeah uh I think a lot of my games uh ended up going kind of similar uh you got to pick like your spot I think to take damage um yeah. if you're like playing against uh Phi against anyone else like you pick your spot so that uh on like one of the turns where you're like attacking for like 13 maybe you just like take an extra three damage or you or you take an extra six damage you go down to like seven or eight and then you have Mm -hmm. to like come back at them like enough to basically make them like force them to block yeah
1: yeah 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 that's I, for me, I was just like just trying to get my opponents to block the third card. Like looking at my hand, looking at their life total, and hoping that the difference of damage between my hand and their life total is greater than six.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, now we spent like basically half an hour talking about Fi. Uh, what what would good decks look like? Like, what are the cards that you're looking for? I, I yeah, I just do want to mention one thing oh yeah uh I, I i don't have that
1: many nuggets of information i've only done one seal two drafts actually no three drafts no no, two drafts um the only other nugget i want to leave with you guys is if you're playing against icelander as fey and i think as jomai as well um you do want to put a couple more blues so you don't get punished um especially if you're going second so that you can have more potential blues in your hand for helio's meter yep. i had a really funny line where i drew four blues against an icelander uh i'm And they went first, and they started by attacking me with the Polar Blast for five. And I pitched three of my blues to activate Helio's meter four times. And I had Arcane Barrier one for my slippers,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. or my flippers. And then they attacked with a weapon, and I perfectly pitched my last blue to activate Helio's meter one more time, and use my my, uh, flippers one more time. And that was just, like, beautiful. Um, So uh, just a piece of advice, try to go second against everybody, and try to put in more blues against Icelander. Okay. Let, yeah. Let's let's talk about identifying potentially good eye center and Dromai pools. Yeah.
0: You want to start? Uh, so I think for Dromai, there's two sets of cards that you want to look for. Um, it. I think the Senapai's like the attacks that uh her attacks that naturally have phantasm. She has access to basically like two two copies. Uh, there's. Uh, Dunebreaker Centipi, which is the one that has go again. So the red version is like a 1 for 5. Uh, blue version is a 1 for 3. Uh, these are really good, especially the red one, because it gives your uh, all your dragons go again. But then also it's just like really strong by itself. The, the blue version is what in Flesh and Blood we would consider like quote-unquote on curve. So the red versions are all like two points above curve for the most part.
1: Would it be the yellow version that's considered on curve? It's a 1 for 4? Or you say because it blocks three?
0: No, it blocks three. Yeah, because so it blocks that's three. that's
1: like the blue version. Okay, okay. Makes sense.
0: Yeah. Um, the red versions are like two points above curve. And then for the Ember Moss and a Pi, uh, it's like the same. The red version is a two for eight, which is like two points above curve. And, and this is kind of like uh, is like way to kind of uh, combat Phi on uh, an efficiency standpoint. Um, she can do like a 3-card 13 with a blue, a Dunebricker, a Red, and an a Centipi Red. Um, which is actually more damage than Fi can output. The downside is that, obviously, uh, these attacks have Phantasm. Um, but it's actually not that frequent that your opponent will have 6-power uh, attacks at this format.
1: I think the average pool has like 1.5. Yeah. Like a sealed pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just... There's just not enough. So at common, there's only two cards that can trigger. And it's the, uh sorry, only one card at common. My bad. Mm-hmm. It's the Brotherhood. Brothers in Arms. Yep. The red version. And then at rare, there's like two. So there's the Flex Red, mm-hmm. which, you know, base power is four, but you can pay two in a pinch. And the Fiendil's Fighting Spirit, which comes in red and yellow, that yep. have six. Yep. And then majestic wise, there's erase face. The only generic majestic, and for draconic only there's thaw. Like uh-huh. there's, that, that, that's it. That's the only way to pop phantasm. On average, you'll have like one and a half. Your pool might not have any. It. I, I faced two opponents. We talked. They just didn't have any. Uh, we did two drafts. In one of the drafts, I only saw a six attack once.
0: Uh-huh.
1: In the other draft, I saw two. Like it's just like one and a half feels like a good metric. Yeah. So most of these things that have phantasm and limited, just it's not too relevant.
0: Yeah. And then I think that the other uh, type of power card that you have in Dromae are the invocations, mm-hmm. and it it's pretty interest. It's pretty important to note that I think only a certain subset of the invocations are actually like really worth going to Dromae for. I think Necria is probably the most powerful one. Yep. Agree. Uh, where it's a three cost. Um, it's a three cost dragon. It has four power, uh, seven health to start, and then whenever it deals damage, you make an ash token and you put a minus one counter on it. And the reason why it's good is because the st- stats wise, if if you're gonna tackle it twice, then it becomes a three for eight. Plus, your opponent most likely has to dedicate some amount of damage to dealing with it. Um, but then also, um, Necrea kind of sidesteps like the the inefficiencies of pitching reds to generate ash. And it's like just like another way that you can get ash, um, to, to make ash wings or, or to summon your other dragons, yeah. And then I found, yeah, yeah go go ahead, go ahead. sorry. No, no. Well, no.
1: I, I was just gonna say like, Yenderai is good as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually uh overperformed my expectations. Yep. Um, it often kind of just feels like a little bit of a worse Necria. Yep. Um, but it does only cost one resource. So.
0: Yeah. I, I think I think Necria and I think I wanna highlight Themai, I think, as the other one mm-hmm, that I sure. think are, yeah. are good. And and these all fall in are like around the three three to four power plus like a big um like more than three health. Big butts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big butts. More than three yeah. health. Uh obviously we get like a majestic. Um like one of the majestics, they're all like pretty strong. Yeah. Uh yeah. but in terms of like what you would normally see like in a pool uh, those would be the ones if, if you have multiples like two or three of of each of these invocations i might look into playing uh drum high
1: yeah and i think um from the two drafts i've done because of the nature of these being double-sided everyone at the table knows uh i remember that for both the drafts i did there was like only like four of these red dragons
0: yeah, uh, yeah per, per box
1: Ah, uh, there was also a uh, like a cold foil one, but that in draft is out. But in sealed, it is so maybe mm-hmm. like five. Yep. Maybe if we like just round it up, goes six. That's like one in every four packs So your seal pool on average has like one of these. Yeah, like so that's why when we say like you get like two, maybe even three of them, it's actually not that bad. Like these are very impactful cards. Um, they can t- definitely take over the game, it, uh, especially if you kind of pick your spots and pick playing them. I do want to say that like for. Example, viserakai. Re- Vis- yeah. This is a card that if you're against Fey or against Romai, you could play it, but mm-hmm. just please side it out against Icelander. You will get punished for playing this card more often than not. You're, yeah. Like, it's just so hard to, like, they can, like, you play the viserakai and, Re- and you attack with it and they just ice like, frosting it from their arsenal. It feels so bad.
0: Yep. Yep. That's a good segue. So let's talk about, like, what the power cards in Icelander are. I think Icelander has basically like two sets of, of cards that you kind of need both. Um, you kind of need both. You need, I think some of the red, like ice fusion elemental wizard cards. I think probably the most powerful one is Aether Ice Fane, which is a three resource cost. um does five arcane damage and you can ice fusion it. And if you fuse it, if it does damage to a hero, they discard a card unless they pay two resources. So you basically put your opponent on a three card hand, just like right off the bat. um it, Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah. Notably, I actually think this card is better than the rare three for five, which yeah. is Succumb to Winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one says deal five arcane damage to any target. If it was fused and targets a hero, destroy a frozen card in their arsenal. If it was fused and targets a frozen ally, Uh, destroy that ally. And I think, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting that that's the case. Um, Like, both of these are similar, but Mm -hmm. guaranteeing your opponent having one less card is such a big deal. Yeah. And I think you have another set that you want to talk about.
0: Yeah, and I think the other set are the um, ice uh, wizard actions that do arcane damage. So you want uh, the blue versions of these, especially Aether Hail. Uh, Aether Hail, the blue one, is one resource cost and does two damage to any target. Uh, Frosting is zero resource cost; it does one da- one arcane damage to any target. And Ice Bolt is two resource cost, do three arcane damage to any target. And so part of the reason why these are so strong uh, is because of Icelanders' hero ability, which when you play an ice card on your opponent's turn, you can give them a frostbite. So we were talking uh, before when we were going into Fey about the part of the reason why he's so good is because you can get a lot of efficiencies out of like a single blue. You can play like your head jab, your weapon, and then get like the Phoenix Flame, etc. Having one Frostbite really puts a wrench in the plan.
1: Yeah, I found that uh, like one Frostbite is typically one damage at least, mm-hmm. um, because at the very least you're preventing them from getting a free Phoenix Flame right um sometimes a little bit more but on average it's about one damage against fey uh i find that uh two frostbites like getting somehow figuring out a way to, to get one extra frostbite like two frostbites is a card like yeah and the there's actually that, uh Fae li- yeah go ahead
0: uh i was gonna hop on and say there's actually a a common uh arctic incarceration mm-hmm. uh which is a zero cost uh Card and then the blue version gives them one frostbite, and then they also get one from the Icelander here ability. ability. Yep. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, that card, I think you play all copies of if you're playing Icelander. Um, because the yellow card you play it, it's your action point of the turn, then you can still shoot him with the weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I found two frostbites as a card. Like, if you're giving me more than one frostbite, there's no way that I can do what I want to do without pitching two cards. Yep, so. Yeah, I think we did the math, uh, so I guess, uh, you know, I, I don't want this drag this too long, but the, one of the ways to identify if you have a good pool is just knowing what the potentials are, and so the pack breakdown for these packs, the first three cards are always going to be either generic, ice, or draconic, and it's oh. going to be some mix of them. It's not going to be three generic, it's not going to be three ice, it's not going to be three draconic, so at best, if you're looking at an icelander pool, it'll be like two ice cards in that first three. Yeah. Uh, then after that, it's your common equipment. Then it's your rare, and then your rare or better. Then it's your foil. So that foil could be an ice card as well. Um, and then your back seven cards, so each of these, that's thats 14 cards by the way. Uh, each of these packs has 16 cards, two of them are tokens or uh, you know, one of them is a cold foil, one is a token. Your back seven has two of each of the following, Draconic Ninja, Draconic Illusionist, and then we're just calling it Icelander playable cards because it could be ice, it could be ice wizard, it could be elemental wizard, it could be wizard. Yep. And then one extra, so you could have, you know, another ice card there. But we noticed that there's never more than like one actual just ice wizard card in there. Uh, it's usually like three different, uh, or at least like two and then one. But like the ice is like a little bit less. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't opened that many packs, so it could be different. But there's a potential for about two ice cards or ice wizard cards uh, per pack is kind of our metric. Uh, less than two, obviously, so maybe like nine per your pool. And of those nine, you want like at least half of them to be blue because the blue kind of are the best. They also have a frostbite attached to them. Yeah. And as few yellows as possible. And I think it's like the easiest way to identify if your pool is like decent. If you don't have like nine ice cards that ideally most of them deal damage, ideally most of them are blue, um,
0: like it's just going to be tough. Like all all things being equal, just play five. Uh, I to release yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just... uh, has, I guess like, if you the, want to be like competitive
1: and, and win. Like, uh, I will be honest with you guys. I played FI. I went 6-0 at the world premiere. I drafted Phi immediately with that box that I got for going 6-0. Then I drafted FI again on Sunday where there was a huge call draft. And by, like... So I played what? I played 12 games of FI. I mm-hmm. think by, like, game 9, I just started getting tired. Like, I... It's just such a boring like pitch of blue coming for one for four coming nah. with this arsenal a zero phoenix lane like i i got really really bored of the play pattern it was kind of frustrating for my opponents because i was winning but it was just like like i don't know it wasn't very impact exciting for me um but i do think that it will give you an edge especially if other people don't really know what they're doing you could kind of pick up wins like that it really mm-hmm. depends on what your goals are for the pre-release but we are saying that if you know you want to win games and that's kind of what gives you the most joy that most likely it should be playing fi
0: yeah definitely uh i would say icelander is probably the second strongest player mm-hmm. to play yep. uh, and then uh and then draw only if you get like the power cards that we mentioned, the centipies that's... and the invocations.
1: Yep, yep. Yeah, I said it's most likely the easiest next hero to have like a decent deck with.
0: Oh. yeah. All right. Uh, and then so I think uh, that's kind of wrapping it up um, for the pre for like your pre release primer. We're gonna do like a more detailed set review uh, for all the cards in the context of draft later. I hope that this is helpful. Yeah, let us know. Leave some comments, and uh,
1: we'll catch you guys on the next one.